I'm so glad you've joined us today on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main web address, and ClarkDeals.com, where you go to save money each and every day. So the goal of our show to help you keep more of what you make, there are times that the advice I give you feel doesn't meet that standard, that I don't do my job. And so if you feel that the guidance I'm giving is lame, if you feel that the direction I've given someone is wrong, or my opinion, I'm just out of my mind, I want to hear from you. That's why we have a discussion board at Clark.com called Clark Stinks. You can go to Clark Stinks. You can let me know what it is that you feel that I did was out of line. And our producer, Krista, goes through the posts you put on Clark Stinks online and shares them with you here on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. What you starting with, Krista? Well, how about this one? Clark, old buddy. A few months ago, you said keeping our credit frozen wouldn't affect our getting insurance quotes. But just a few days ago, a lady called your show and wanted to know why, when she called an insurance company for a quote, they asked for her social security number. You told her it was so they could check her credit. Wouldn't that mean her credit report would need to be unfrozen? This made me wonder about a quote I got from one of your favorite insurance carriers, Amica. You've said that they have some of the cheapest insurance around. When I got a quote online, they were twice what my current carrier quoted. The only reason I could think of was my credit was frozen, but there might be another explanation. So now you tell us Amica has higher rates the first year as you buy in, so to speak, to the company. Why are you just now telling us that? And could that explain rates that are twice as high? I'm so confused. Please explain, Clark. There's a lot for me to deal with there. All right, so let's go in reverse order. Amica is a mutual where it's owned by its policyholders. Their only reason for existing is to be a co-op for people who have insurance with them. You buy into the co-op the first year, and then after that, based on the money that they retain from collecting more in premiums from what they pay out in claims, they then give you... A, a dividend check. And Krista, how large is your dividend check usually from Amica? Um, it's not that big these days because I think I, because I've used the insurance quite a bit. Okay. But it's fine. It's decent. Okay. A few hundred dollars. A few probably. hundred dollars back. So Amica, you do pay more when you first get in. It wouldn't be double or anything like that. On the credit score thing. Okay. So in some states, you cannot use credit scores as a factor in setting insurance rates for auto or home. Other states, you can. Most, actually, you can. And there was a big point of contention as to whether or not your credit had to be thawed for insurers to check for, uh, for your credit score. The, it's a special kind of credit score, usually called shorthand insurance score that your credit would have to be thawed for them to be able to do so. And I still don't have a straight answer if, in fact, it does have to be thawed. 
And I guess that's my fail is that's been hanging out there and we will get the answer to that as to whether or not you have to do a temporary thaw of your credit when you do want to shop for auto insurance. Because the inquiry they do is known as a soft hit, not a hard hit, which is why I was under the impression your credit did not have to be thawed. So I'll get to the bottom of that and answer it properly. Okay, and now one of your favorite subjects, travel. Few stinks that are related to travel. Here's the first one. Recently, a very concerned grandma called you to inquire about the safety issues related to her daughter's family vacationing in Greece. You ascertained that her concerns were not related to the terror incidents that have plagued Europe, but to the dangers, in quotes, of traveling to Greece with a small child. I wish you would have been more firm in explaining that Greece is not a third world country. Listening to the call, it felt like Grandma envisioned her family vacationing in Syria. Sure, Greece is in a precarious financial state, but it was as if the caller believed there would be no potable water to be had. But the stinkiest part of your advice was telling Grandma to tag along. Maybe her daughter just wants to enjoy a peaceful vacation without Grandma's irrational fretting. I love my parents, but I would not want a vacation for any amount of time or free babysitting or money. Appreciate that. I'm always careful when someone's calling out of nervousness about traveling or a family member traveling. I always want to be very sensitive to their fears and concerns when I answer a question like that. Here's a second one. Correction. A caller was concerned about the travel warning to Mexico, specifically Cancun. Discussion ensued about general violence in the country. However, the reason for the warrant for the warning is tainted alcohol, including in high-end, all-inclusive resorts in the Cancun and Cabo Cabo areas. Please see the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel expose. Horrendous stories, frightening events, action is needed. Please spread the cautionary word. So the problem with alcohol, the tainted alcohol, where all-inclusive resorts, in order to cut corners and save costs, were using the equivalent of moonshine that has made people ill to my understanding i've read the state department warning as i understood the warning it did not encompass that what and i read some of the stuff from the milwaukee journal it was about the violence with the shootout that took place in downtown cancun and the problems that have taken place in cabo i mean this is not A good season for the Mexican tourist industry, obviously. Okay, and last travel-related. Clark, you routinely recommend people to use the online hotel bidding sites for cheap travel. I've gotten good deals on sites like Priceline, too. However, you should coach your listeners to know what some of these sites call three-star or four-star that they do not line up with many expected or conventional ratings. For example, I've chosen three-star hotels based on a site's hotels like these list, only to book a non-refundable stay at a motel, complete with outdoor corridors, smoking rooms, and no elevators. Complaining, even calling the site's helpline on arrival, does little good. I'd rather pay a little more to know three-star means better security in an elevator. Happy travels! Well... Okay, so I sound like a snob when I say this. When I book on Priceline and Hotwire, I try to... Well, Hotwire, I will never book anything that they list below four stars because Hotwire does greatly inflate their star levels. I would say that Priceline tends to fudge about half a star or so on every hotel. 
And there are occasions where I'll bid on a three and a half star, but I try to never go below four. And the reality is, if you look at the most exclusive lists of hotels in the world, in the entire United States, there's only 20-some-odd five-star hotels. If you go by what's on any hotel booking site, you'd think there were perhaps more than 1,000 five-star hotels in the U.S. So the inflation in stars is definitely a problem, and that's why you got to look towards the higher star classifications, four and five, when you're looking at booking a hotel. Dr. Howard, Professor of Frugality, there are several benefits of HDHPs and HSAs that you fail to mention on air. So HSAs, Health Savings Account, H, I forget what HDHPs stands for. I have no idea. HDHP. Well, here's what they say. One, if you make less than 127200 per year, HSA contributions made through a cafeteria plan dodge 7.65% in, in uh, Medicare taxes and OASDI taxes, in addition to being exempt from income taxes. The HSA is really quadruple tra- tax advantaged. The HDHP allows you to transform some of your fringe benefits into cash. That's just an abbreviation for high deductible plans. The HDHPs have premium pass-through, whereby some of your employer-paid insurance premium is deposited into your HSA as cash. The HSA may be the ultimate retirement account. At 65, HSA withdrawals can be made for any reason, though withdrawals not related to medical costs would be subject to normal income tax. Thank you, Clark, for all that you do. I learn something new every time I listen to you. Regards, Joe. So what Joe's talking about is that the HSA plans are like the greatest thing ever if you have resources. If you are someone who makes a good amount of money, the tax advantages and the long-term benefits of an HSA are gigantic. My concern has been with HSA-eligible high-deductible health plans for lower-income earners that are left to try to make up these large deductibles, and they don't have the resources to do so. But HSAs for the right individual, particularly the self-employed entrepreneur, incredibly great. Clark, sometime back, as an aside to a question, you wondered why anyone uses an iPhone. I assumed being the cheapo you are, and that's not a derogatory term in my book, you only go for Android phones. Well, I can't speak for others, but I am interested in security as well as price. I point to this headline, quote, over 500 apps carrying malware. Is your phone infected? End quote. Guess what? They were all Android apps. Rarely, if ever, have I seen a report of infections of iPhone or iPad apps. I believe Apple is far more protective of their ecosystem than Google. True, the infected Android apps may not have come from the official Android app store, but it just makes me leery of those phones. So my daughter is now posting on Clark Stinks because when, po- when that thing came out about the 500 bad Android apps, she was all over it because my, my kids, my wife, they're all Apple all the time. And I am the lone ranger in the household who's the independent thinker with Chromebooks and Android phones. And so, yes, the good thing about an iPhone is that because from the ground up, Apple controls everything about them, is that it is the very rare exception ever 
that there would be a, a bad app that would be putting viruses on your phone or spying on you that would come through the Apple store and on the iPhone. See, I said it. <laughs> this year, we are blocked from contributing to a Roth IRA. Clark talks all day long about the Roth, but never provides advice on what to do if we exceed IRA limits. Please help. So congratulations to you on being such a motivated saver and that you're making so much money. There is a complicated process where you can make contributions to something known as a non-deductible IRA, regardless of income. Then you're allowed to reclassify the money in the non-deductible IRA into Roth money. To do this, you can't have any money in a traditional IRA. But if you do this procedure where you move money it first into the non-deductible and then into the Roth, known as the backdoor method into a Roth. In fact, do a Google search, backdoor Roth. You'll see how to do it, and you'll be able to make your Roth contribution every year with extra work, but you'll be able to get it done. And once you know how to do this procedure, each following year, it'll be easy for you to do. Want to hear from you. If I have led you astray, and you want to set me straight, go to Clark.com. Go to Clark Stinks. Let me know. Robin's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Robin, you got a collection that is hassling you, not with a collector, but on your credit report? Yes, sir. How are you, Clark? Great, thank you. Hope everything's wonderful in your world. It is, thank you. I have been fixated on my credit over the last year. I made unfortunate decisions when I was younger, and I'm trying to improve my situation, and it's going in the right direction, actually pretty quickly. But I have one delinquent or open collection account on my report, on one reporting agency, and I want it removed, and I'm willing to pay it, no problem. But I know you said that I need to ask them to send me something in writing if I pay them, but I'm wondering if you could detail the exact steps. Can it be in an email? Do I need to go pay them with a check and get the letter right then? So a letter. So the letter would say that um, that you are willing to pay this, even though you dispute that this is a valid debt. But in return for you paying it, you want the item removed from your credit report. Okay. That's how you word it, because an item, even once paid, stays on a report for seven years. How old is the item? Four and a half years old. So if it's paid at four and a half years, the harm to you is already lessened. You've probably seen your score move up. Paid off, it is a small additional advantage to you. And if you were applying for certain loans, they wouldn't make those loans to you if you had an open item. You can take care of that. But to speed the clock up, all the collection agency wants is the money. So if you uh, word this in a way that says, I, I don't think this is valid, but it's to my advantage to have this removed from my report. It's to your advantage to have the money. I will make a deal with you. Here's the money if you remove it from the report. Let's agree to that, and I'll give you the money. And if they say they will and they don't, it won't behoove me at all to pay it. And you think I should just wait it out the next few years? Right. That your leverage, if you're trying to get the item removed from your report, 
your leverage is till they have money from you. Okay. And anytime, if you ever have communication with them, that's the key. Do you happen to know in your state, are you outside statute of limitations where you can be sued on the debt? Four and a half years, most places you would be. I don't know the answer to that. They've never actually called me to collect it. It is a valid debt. They've never called to collect. I just, you know, want it off my report. All right, but we're in a negotiation here. Oh, I'm not a good negotiator. I need to work on that. So, so remember, the negotiation is, you know, I know this is out there. Um, I, I don't accept that it's valid, but I'll make a deal with you. Here's the trade-off, and if they'll put that in writing, go for it. I think that's the smartest course. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website, clark.com slash ask, where you go to ask me a question. You also can ask questions off the air of a member of our team. And on the main screen of clark.com, scroll down. You'll see how to get free off-the-air advice nine hours every weekday, except holidays. I am so worried about us maintaining continuity in our education system in the United States because in many of our nation's states, teachers are being paid so little money that a teacher can leave the teaching profession and go do most anything else, even a job that only requires maybe a high school education and make more money than they can make as a teacher with a master's degree. Now, I am not going to tell you that I'm the biggest fan in the world of traditional public schools. I'm a big believer in charter schools. I'm a big believer in vouchers. And I believe that children must have choice in schools because kids are not all one size fits all. My children have gone to a combination of public schools and private schools. And my children have all, during their educational years, have all changed schools at least once, not because of age that they went to a different school, but because It was our feeling that our kids needed different schools. And so choice is very important in the mix. But right now, it seems there's a lack of desire of legislators, governors, and taxpayers to support the schools. And I saw a story in The Guardian about teachers in Oklahoma. And before this school year began, a teacher was out on a corner asking for donations to buy supplies for the kids in her classroom. A lot of schools, school districts in Oklahoma are now doing four-day weeks instead of five-day weeks. And Oklahoma is not alone on that. And you cause teacher turnover. I mean, think about being a classroom teacher, if you ever were one. Have you ever been in the classroom 
And that's one thing about my history a lot of people don't know is that I founded an alternative school long ago for children who had not succeeded in the traditional school system is that for teachers, it's a very, very difficult job that requires great dedication. And these kids are our future. And, and the problems we're having in the country with income inequality and people feeling like they're not getting a fair shake and all that, there is no better bridge to economic opportunity than education. And what seems to be happening right now in the country is that kids that are from wealthier families have more access to good schools that are well-funded, or the parents have enough resources to move into a neighborhood where they know they're going to have a good school, or that they can pay for private school. And kids that are from families that are not of great means get the leftovers. And the school funding can be pitiful. Going back to Oklahoma, 49th in teacher pay, spending per student has dropped almost 30% in the last eight years. What are you doing? I mean, you need to give kids a chance to make it in this country. This is the greatest country in the history of humanity. And one of the things that has made us so great is that promise that anyone from any walk of life can have an opportunity to succeed. And in the past, all that required was really a lot of hard work and sweat and tears. Today, to make it happen, you've got to have education. And we as a society have got to do everything we can to provide educational opportunity to our kids and choice in that education. Rebecca's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Clark. It's an honor to speak with you. Well, it's great to have you along. So I think a teacher, you're from Connecticut. Correct. I think a school teacher in Connecticut must make four times what a school teacher makes in the states that pay teachers very poorly. Uh, that that could be, but then they're taxed ten times. Or <laughs> Yeah, taxes in Connecticut are really a thing. And, you know, a lot of this is about uh, what we're willing to to give up ourselves so that others have an opportunity. This isn't a pro-tax speech. <laughs> Let me make sure you know that cheap guy is not saying, isn't that great that Connecticut taxes people up to their eyeballs and beyond? No, that's not what I would say. <laughs> yeah, those taxes wisely, just like we need to do in our personal lives. That is true. So uh, you want to talk about your husband. What's going on with him, Rebecca? Well, it relates to both of us. Actually, he will soon um, be eligible. Um, well, he'll, he'll soon be turning 65. Um, he probably won't retire right away. As he says, he's probably retiring between 6 and 18 months from now. But anyway, 
the question is um, when he turn what do we need to do when he turns 65 even though we're not planning to take social security then and then secondly what do we do because I'm about 10 years younger than he is so how do we how do we plan for me <laughs> So it's to your advantage for him to delay taking Social Security as long as is practical. All the way up to, if it works financially for you as a couple, to wait to take it till age 70. Because your ultimate Social Security benefit, unless you out-earn him, is going to uh, heavily be influenced by when he starts taking Social Security himself. Okay, that's what I keep telling him, and he's like, no, I'll take it at 66 when I get full retirement age. And I'm like, I think you should wait. <laughs> well, there's, there's something that you don't need to do it yet, but when he does decide he likely wants to retire, there's a software package that you can buy that's extremely easy to use and costs $40 to use it, but you don't want to buy it yet because you pay $40 to use it for a year, you want to wait till you're at that point that he's thinking of bagging work. Okay. And it's called MaximizeMySocialSecurity.com. Okay. And it will allow you to plug in the exact variables, his age, your age, his income, your income, all of those things. And it will, it will guide you on, for your specific situation as a couple, the right time to take that social security okay now for medicaid medicare what is it what yeah medicare what does he need to do when he turns 65 all right so uh i think it's starting is it six weeks before you turn 65 something like that you go and you apply for medicare but is he getting full health benefits where he works yes and do they continue those benefits after his 65th birthday I believe so. All right. That's something to dig into. And there's a special procedure with Medicare where you maintain full eligibility for any Medigap policy without medical underwriting uh, because normally you have to get into Medicare and do the supplement right away or you're only eligible for certain of the letters of the alphabet of Medicare supplements. Yeah. But if you are still working and have health coverage where you work, there's an exemption process from that. And the best thing to do is when he is approaching 65, to not only look at the website for Social Security and Medicare and read the rules as best you can understand there, but also go sit down with somebody at the local Social Security office when you have all day to wait. But you were right as a general thing that, Rebecca, you're much better off waiting as long as is feasible to start receiving that Social Security check, your husband start receiving it, because the long-time benefit to you being younger and women live longer to him waiting longer to take that first check is enormous for you over your lifetime. Nan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Nan. Hello, Clark. Nice to speak with you. Nice speaking with you, Nan. And I always tell everyone, make sure if you freeze your credit, you know exactly where your 
pen codes are for each oh, bureau. I, I know where they are now because I cleaned out my desk and I had a big save pile and a big pitch pile, and I pitched the save pile and kept the pitch pile somehow. That's the kind um, of thing I would do. Oh, well. So welcome I to my so world. Upset with myself. So all three credit unions, I have no secret codes now. Well, with the credit bureaus, each of them have a procedure for you to restore PIN. Okay. And there's documentation you have to provide that each requires different documentation. So where normally it would be a slam dunk for you to do something with a credit freeze, right? now you've got to do some, some old-fashioned paperwork and time-wasting. Okay. <laughs> but if you go... Um, to each bureau's credit freeze site, they, okay. they usually refer to it as security freeze, under their Q&A sections, they each have what you do for them if you lose your PIN code. Okay. So it'd be great if there was one simple procedure yeah, that you yeah. did with all three. But, but there's not. There's not because the credit okay. bureaus don't want you doing credit freeze anyway. So they don't want to make it easy for you either to freeze your credit or to thaw it. Okay, because I did look on a couple of their websites and didn't see, you know, how to, you know, restore, but I didn't think to go look in the Q&A section, so. Yeah, now the other thing, I'm trying this right now. I'm going to type right now. I want to see, oops, got to pull my mic over here. I want to see if it says, yep. Okay. There's a briefing for TransUnion, there's a briefing for Experian, there's a briefing for TransUnion that you can find just by Googling. Just put in each name and say uh, TransUnion credit freeze lost pet. Then okay. do it again, Experian, and then same thing for Equifax. And each will pull up how you get them restored. Very good. I will give that a try this evening. And if you don't mind uh, letting us know how much of a time waster it was having to restore them so i can know that for other people like okay, something sure, that I'll was like it was a new part-time job for you or <laughs> was it not nearly as bad as you feared yes is it this is this enough of the penance for being stupid and no don't say that you were doing a good thing purging old papers and you just made a mistake we're all human this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Mary is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mary. Hey, Clark, how are you? Great, thank you, Mary. Hope everything's fantastic in your world. It is. At least I hope it is. All right. Well, how can I serve you? 
Well, I have five personal credit cards. I have a credit rating of over 820 with all of the major bureaus. I really want to close four cards that I never use. They haven't been used in multiple years. Um, and I want to open one new one that gives me some better rewards. But I don't know um, if that will have any negative impact to my credit rating. So you're, you're thinking of closing four out of the five and just opening one new one? Correct. Don't do that. Okay. Because let me tell you where that affects you. It, it affects almost a third of your credit score in a big way because you've got on those five cards, you've got a lot of credit limit when you add them all together. And the reason your score is, I mean, you realize 820, you said eight better than 820, right? Yes. Almost nobody has a score in that territory. So you've got everything aligned on your credit report perfectly. You, I guess you've never made a late payment in your life. No, never. And you are showing an extremely low utilization rate on yeah, the credit you have. Yes, I'm, I'm at less than 4%. So that's why you're in that rarefied air at close to I, um, a perfect score. What if I close the two door cards, which are very small limits, like $2,500 limits each? That would be just fine. So close the two stores and then leave the other ones and just don't use them. If you could use them occasionally, it would be to your advantage just because that way you don't trigger one of those letters where they cancel you because you've been inactive with them. Uh, but you said there's a new card you're intrigued by. The way you yes. pay your bills and all that, whatever you're using should be some form of reward. It should be... It is a reward card. And is it cash or miles or... It's cash back. And you're getting 2%? Uh, it would be 2% on most everything and 1% on a handful of categories. Okay, because, you know, the gold standard today is 2%. And with your credit score, you qualify for those cards that are gold standard cards. Oh, so I should look into those and look for something at least 2% on everything. Right. The easiest, uh, the not easiest, the one that's got the most coverage as far as who can apply for it is the city double cash card that works out to be 2% cash back. And then do you have any investment accounts with Fidelity Investments? I do. Fidelity has a 2% card that if you're a Fidelity customer, that's the one I would get. Okay, great. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm just so amazed. 820, what's your highest of the three? 827. 827. That's at a point that the bank wants to borrow money from you instead of you borrowing money from it. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I appreciate you spending part of your day with us here on The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that if you need consumer advice, we're here to serve you off-air for free, nine hours a day. If you go to Clark.com and go down the home screen, you'll see a section, Consumer Help and Tools, Click on Consumer Action Center and you can get that free off-the-air advice.